Welcome to another episode of Your Chamber Presents. There has been a lot of news lately about cybersecurity, and it certainly can be complicated to protect your business and its information online. In today's episode, part of our ongoing small business series, Jesse Hill, owner of Tier 3 IT Solutions, will help us easily learn basic concepts that every company should know about cybersecurity. Every business will have a different perspective and different priorities when it comes to protecting their digital assets, but it is critically important to the stability and success of your business. So learn more about how you can protect yourself through these easily implemented tools. And for more information on our upcoming small business series workshops, see yourchamber.ca. Um, we're pleased to host these small business series, and we couldn't do that without our partnerships of from uh, the city of Leduc, Leduc County, the county of, Wach- of Wachasquin, as well as the city of Wachasquin. So we host uh, 10 per year, and we're very excited for today. We are here and to welcome Jesse Hill of uh, Tier 3 IT Solutions on cybersecurity. So Jesse, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, and I was going to say thanks um, to Jen and Jessica and the rest of the team at the Chamber for inviting me. Um, And I hope to educate and inform and uh, engage with everybody on the call. So I did mention to um, the Chamber team that if anybody has questions, I'm happy to have conversation and answer them. Uh, And I think we are using the uh, the chat component. So if you have anything, throw it in there and we will um, make time for that. So as Jen mentioned, my name is Jesse Hill. I'm the president of Tier 3 IT Solutions. We start every presentation that we give by um, putting up what we call our brand commitment. I'm not going to go into it in great detail, but it's for our clients to help them understand our perspective on technology. The big blue box here is really what it comes down to is that we strongly believe that technology is a tool to help you achieve business goals and overcome business challenges and that every business has you know a unique expectation or you know strategy that they want to run so the agenda today uh, we're going to start off we're just going to talk a little bit about what what are the most common cyber threats and attacks um, we're in, i'm going to introduce two cybersecurity frameworks for you uh, we're going to talk a little bit about where we see you know, areas of risk in most small businesses, and then a couple of things that you might want to think about um, in terms of improving your cybersecurity. So the first thing is talking about the types of security risks that um, businesses face. And I think you know, the reality is very different than what movies make them out to be. Right in movies, it's all about you know people that are hackers and they're they're working their way in to lock computers up, and you know we would call these you know these ones here um, you know active attacks, meaning that somebody has you know taken the the time to find targets to deliver malware or to you know brute force them through you know guessing passwords and cycle through in them and all that kind of stuff. But if you go through and you add these five you know, types of attacks up, I think it only comes in at about 25% of the total um, you know, cyber risks or cyber incidents that businesses face. The large majority come from compromised and stolen credentials and phishing attacks. And these two, right? So what are we both 75, 74% there? These two are exploiting the weaknesses um, in our staff and their awareness of what's happening, you know, with technology around them. And so that's one of the things, I guess, first of all, that when we're talking uh, about cybersecurity, a lot of people think that it's it's about a a tool or a subscription that you're going to buy and you're going to install, where the reality is um, 70 plus percent of your efforts should be, you know, in theory, focused on your people. Because, um, you know, I I always equate it to securing a house. You know, you could put bars in the windows and fingerprint door locks and all these amazing security things. But if somebody props the front door open with a a shoe when they go for a walk, you know, they've just bypassed all of your security work. Um, 
Jen wanted me to touch a little bit on this whole Russia-Ukraine thing. Um, and this, uh, this slide actually comes from a couple of weeks ago when they were first um, going on the offensive um, you know, on the ground. And we started seeing a lot of speculation that Russia was going to um, fight, the, fight the war on the ground, but also um, in you know, the digital space. And so we saw a lot of articles and speculation that um, if you were a company or a country that was laying sanctions against you know, them and their efforts, that you would see cyber attacks. And this is still something that, that I think we're very much kind of anticipating, but it hasn't come um, to fruition at the level that we expected. Um, we did see in um, the middle of February attacks, um, and, and these are kind of like probing um, attacks out of Russia, took a pretty big spike, um, you know, around about the time of, uh, of the invasion. And um, this comes out of a, a company that monitors cloud-based services. And they found that while Russia's volume spiked, an even bigger spike came out of China. Um, and the thing that was interesting is that the activities of Russia and China, you know, kind of mirror each other. And so this, for a lot of cybersecurity people, we kind of went, well, is this an indication that they're, you know, maybe collaborating and working together? Um, and so they said, well, what about maybe some other, you know, big countries where we see this? And so then they, they overlaid Germany in there and found out that, no, it, it's not any country you know had this spike but it was you know those two specific countries so again you know since um these these charts came up we haven't seen big attacks but the general consensus is that we all need to be much more vigilant with our cybersecurity, um and you know you really need to think about what your exposure to some of these you know other parts of the world are so you know one example that we can give is you know, we went through every single one of our clients' firewalls and just outright blocked connections from Russia, China, Belarus, you know, and some of those are other high-risk countries because none of our clients have business relations in those places. All right, we'll move on to um, what we talk about with, again, a lot with our clients is what are the things that we're doing to protect the client's data? And the first thing when you're thinking about cybersecurity in your business is recognizing what you have and where it is. So more often than not, we find that we have um, user data. So these are things that are stored on the local devices. We have company data, which would be you know, on your server or your file share or your network attached storage or, or whatever it may be. But it's the things that everybody accesses. We'll have data that's that's stored within certain applications like your accounting or your ERP. And then the biggest, um, I guess, change in the last number of years is your cloud data. And the challenge with this is that each layer of this um, information introduces different you know, challenges in terms of monitoring it and, and securing it and protecting it. So we talk to our clients about the fact that you need layers of security. Now, we'll talk a little bit about these categories um, as we get into the, the NIST framework. But the first thing is identify. You need to know what you have, where it is. You need to have a strategy for protection, which is <clears throat> managing who has access, permissions, making sure that you're patching you antivirus, all of those types of things. There's a detect component, which is ongoing monitoring of you know, the cybersecurity posture of your business. And should something you know, come up you know, and cause a problem for you, you need a recovery plan. The reason that we have to have layers of security um, can also be illustrated in what we call the Swiss cheese model for risk, where we have technology risk on one end and losses on the other. And this model for risk, uh, I mean, it goes back years, but the idea is that if you're putting a layer of protection in your business, it's kind of like Swiss cheese, right? And any security protocol in any platform that you put in, it has some area of weakness. So if you are trying to block the view from technology risk to losses, 
and you only had Swiss cheese, you want to try to make sure that as you put them in place, that that doesn't line up, um, you know, a vulnerability that can get all the way through. Some of the holes that you're going to face in technology are active failures. And what we mean by that is, you know, one of your staff has, you know, chosen to turn off their antivirus or, you know, the IT um, side of things has, you know, deselected a security feature. Some of them are going to be latent conditions. And this is the, the thing that's most challenging for, for all of us on this call is that if Microsoft has a hole in their security and it affects all of their clients. Well, there's nothing that any of us can do about that, right? We're subscribed to their services and we just have to live with it. So what we um, suggest is you want to have a really good way of assessing how big of a risk you know, each of those circumstances are. So we take impact, we put it on the vertical, probability on the horizontal. And so if we had something with a um, high probability and a high impact, so an example that we give would be to say, you know, we have a server that runs your accounting software and that server is seven years old. Well, that's a high probability of failure because we know that the server is out of warranty. You know, it's been in use for a number of years and I mean, the reliability of those, of those systems will decline over time. If it was a two-year-old server, our probability might be low. Now, the impact of your server going down, losing access to all of your ERP and your scheduling and all of that, the impact on your business is very high. So we have that flagged as red. A low probability, low impact, um, you know, that could be like, um, you know, our Wi-Fi. If, if Wi-Fi went out in the, in the boardrooms, in the meeting rooms, well, it's inconvenient that we don't have it available when we want it, but it also isn't stopping the business. And so when you're thinking about, you know, your technology risk, you can you think about it in these, in these concepts. And, you know, the reality is, is that nobody can address all of their technology issues. So you want to start, you know, with the red ones and work your way down. All right, I'm, I'm moving pretty quick so that we get through this on time. But again, just if you have any questions, you know, please throw them up there. I wanna talk about the NIST cybersecurity framework um, because this, uh, again, I think really helps to um, visualize the different things that you should be doing around cybersecurity. You'll notice that there are five categories. Um, and I like to start in the middle because um, detect is the determining factor for whether you are taking proactive activities on the left or reactive activities on the right. And what we mean by that is that if, if we were to run a vulnerability scan on a network, so we're running a detect, and we find a potential vulnerability, well, we've just identified that potential vulnerability, and we can put in place steps to um, you know, adjust those settings, apply extra security and protect. However, if we ran that same penetration test, we might find that there's already, you know, a cyber um, attack that has happened or is, is underway. Then we're moving to the right-hand side into the reactive side, which is responding. Now, you'll notice if, if you recall in that umbrella, we didn't have respond in the umbrella. And the reason is that this is largely the responsibility of the organization um, who owns the technology, not the IT provider. Um, because it's all about having a plan. You know, uh, most of the people on this call know that, you know, if there's a fire in your building, you have a muster point that you go to. Well, what about if an account gets hacked? Do you have a plan for that? And so that's what Respond is all about, is how are you managing that? How are you handling communications and the legal side of it? And then Recover is, of course, going to be, well, what can we do to get our business back up and running? So this particular framework is a really great conversation piece, but it doesn't give you a lot of tangible activities to do. So for that, 
we go to the CIS controls. Now the CIS controls, um, the, it's essentially 18 groupings of safeguards and there's 153 total activities. The reason that we like this is that they've broken them into three different imp implementation groups. So if you were a, a small business, you know, a fairly limited um, budget and maybe low exposure to risk from your technology, you would want to do implementation group one. And so we're, it basically recommends 56 out of the 153 safeguards. If you are a little bit more mature um, and you had maybe a, an IT person on staff or you're working with a managed IT provider, there's 74 items in implementation group two. And if you were you know, very highly dependent on technology, very mature in your, in your deployments, you'd look at also adding implementation group three. And the thing about these is that they build on top of each other. So if, you're, if you say, we need to do everything in implementation group two, well, okay, you need to do all of implementation group one plus all of implementation group two. Anybody on the call here today, um, we actually have a, a guide, um, like a 40 page um, you know, manual that goes through all of this for you. And Jen and the team are gonna email that out to you um, after the presentation. When we talk about the changes that the cloud have brought to the, the world of cybersecurity, um, I think it's often understated. You know, we see a lot of media and advertisement that, you know, when you go to the cloud, things are going to be more secure. And there are aspects of that that are true, but it also doesn't take into account the fact that people fall for things and they give their passwords up. And it doesn't matter if you're using a password to get into a local system or a remote system, you know, those poor hygiene, poor habits are going to create security risk. And when we think about how the typical you know, business has evolved, we now have you know, our, our users, our staff, accessing multiple different sites hosted by multiple companies with different levels of security that's available on them. And you know, there's a lot of really valuable information that you are um, you know, inputting and storing and sharing and manipulating in these sites. And I think we'll talk about it a little bit later, but where it gets really tricky is for most businesses to even keep track of which sites your staff are using. So the top risks to avoid. Um, the, the, where we see risk is number one, poor password hygiene. And I've used that word a couple of times, but really what this is about is people use weak passwords, they reuse them and the challenge is that people have so many passwords that they need to remember. And so they use the same one over and over, or they modify it, maybe they share it. And the, the problem with that is that if, you know, there's a big breach, you know, a, a Yahoo or something like that, and they get a billion usernames and passwords, well, they now know that a certain percentage of those usernames and passwords are going to work on other websites. They just have to find them. And so they build little bots to go out and, and search and, and discover those. Multi-factor authentication. This is a big one um, that's being pushed a lot more now. And uh, we would encourage anybody on the call, really take a look at your key sites where you um, log in and see if they have an option um, for multi-factor so that when you enter a username and a password, it has a, a third um, app or a text message that requires a code to put in that. And then this last one, the passwords are owned by the employee. I'm going to talk a little bit about this um, afterwards as well, but this is starting to be where I see a huge security risk down the road. And everybody on the call is, has probably logged into a web page and had the browser pop up and say, oh, you know, do you want to save this password? And where this presents a risk is that you know, as an employee who sits down at a company-owned computer, I log into Google Chrome, and when it asks me to save that password, it's saving it into my personal Gmail password vault. 
Now, when I leave the company, who owns that password, right? Well, it's in the, it's in the employee's personal vault. So, you know, the law probably says that it's theirs. We haven't seen, um, you know, in, in our client base, a big issue with this yet, but as people are getting more savvy, I do think that that's something we all need to be aware of. A low level awareness of cybersecurity threats. So again, we're talking about our staff and our people. Um, it's amazing. You know, we run phishing like email simulations against our clients' users. And it amazes me how many people still click on those emails and go to that web page and you know they believe that their Netflix account is suspended and they're entering their usernames and their passwords in there. And the reason that this you know, becomes a, a really big problem is because of point number one. So if I you know, get somebody who enters their Netflix username and password, well, I'm likely as a cyber criminal going to just take that and start hitting banks and PayPal and eBay and, and anything else that I can think of to see if it's going to work on there. We're starting to see, you know, uh, not starting to see, but lots of lots of issues around sharing information, right? As things have been put into the cloud, um, it's easier than ever to just, you know, right click on something, say share and grant access. And the problem with this is, of course, not everybody pays attention um, to what they're clicking on. They might not put passwords on the things that they're sharing or expiration dates. And again, when somebody leaves the organization, whether it's a contractor or an employee or you know, any of those situations, how do you regain control of that? All right, this one's a little bit technical, um, but what it's basically saying is that um, where we've seen you know, big interruptions and the types of things that you see on the news where you know, colonial pipelines is shut down because of a ransomware or a hospital is shut down because of ransomware. More often than not, that's happening. Um, well, I mean, there's a number of reasons, but one of the big reasons is that operating systems generally trust software unless the person operating it tells them not to. And We've all seen this where, you know, we go to click on something and it pops up and says, are you sure you want to do this? And, you know, allow or block. And the shift in the IT world is to move towards, to move to the opposite, which is called zero trust, which essentially um, is about adding a layer of security to the operating system so that it only trusts the things that we tell it to. So by default, it trusts nothing unless we tell it to. And the reason that this is important, and, and I think something you're going to see happen a lot more down the road, is that, the again, the typical user has far too much control to change things, install things, and generally introduce risk to the business. And then this one, um, again, the hybrid environments, meaning um, we have some stuff on cloud, and it could be Office 365 or Salesforce or you know, NetSuite or, or whatever it is that you might be using. But most businesses have multiple cloud services that they run. Plus they have some kind of on-premise infrastructure. So you know, servers and desktops and workstations. And now you know, in today's day and age, all of those things are spread all over the place, right? We have people working at home. We have people that you know have never been to the office that are working remotely. And you start really realizing that the ability of a smaller medium business to track and control all of those devices and all of those cloud services is getting much more challenging. All right, no questions yet? Okay. Um, so again, just for a little bit of context, one one leaked password can you know expose your your business your information and control um, to the world. Your people, generally speaking, are not as aware of cybersecurity and the changes in cybersecurity as they should be. 
it's really hard um, for most businesses to control, you know, the cloud because it's dependent on the individual vendors um, of what controls they're going to put in place. Um, when people leave, how do you, how do you, um, you know, call back that control, that information, that inf um, that access, and when people are distributed, how do you lock those things down? And you know, the reality is that your your computers have a lot of impact to your business, right? So we we often have had this discussion about you know if you had a hundred computers on a network, and one of them didn't have um, you know, the same level of antivirus installed on it. Do you get a 99% um, security rating for that? Or do you get a 0%? You know, some could argue, well, you're only, you're only missing one out of 100, so it's 99%. But the other side could argue that if that one computer gets a ransomware infection, it can impact the entire business. So it could be a zero. Um, all right, let's see, we do have a question here. Yes. So Tanil is asking that uh, she's asking about cybersecurity training um, and specifically that her cyber insurance provider is saying that they have to provide this training to their staff. And yeah, the, of course, the insurance company just wants you to check a box and, box and say, yes, you're doing it. They're not going to tell you how to do it. So um, the other thing that we're finding on cyber insurance applications, if we go back a couple slides, um, most of them are requiring multi-factor authentication to be enabled on your um, Office 365 or your email tenant. They are asking a lot more questions about you know, your, your layers of protection. Um, and so you're going to find um, you know, the, the IT world has been a bit of the Wild West for a long time. Um, people can build their networks any way they want. There's no regulation. Insurance, however, is kind of like a quasi-regulation where they're going to say, we will not insure your business if you don't do these things. Um, and so to answer your question, Tineal, um, there are a ton of, of um, cybersecurity awareness training platforms. Um, and what you need to do is you need to make sure that your all of your staff are enrolled, that they have a record of them, you know, watching the training, taking the quiz, you know, whatever the format is. And then as leadership and management, you need to make sure that you are, you know, staying on top of that and, and renewing that on an ongoing basis. All right. So the key to this is to layer up. Um, and, you know, there's so many illustrations of this, but, you know, if you were going to go climb a mountain, well, at the bottom of the mountain, you might be in shorts and at the top you're in, you know, full winter gear. You don't just put on the full winter gear at the beginning. You, you layer up as you go and you layer down as, as you come down. And so every business is going to be, um, you know, based on those implementation groups, deciding what level of protection they need. What we're what I'm going to talk about is just some suggestions, and, and these are um, these are assuming that you're doing most of the other stuff already. Meaning, you have a commercial grade antivirus solution, you have a process for reviewing, approving, and installing um, patches for both your operating systems and your software. You have a backup solution um, that gives you uh, what we call three, two, one, meaning you have three copies in on two mediums with one being offsite. Um, you know, you've got permissions and controls in place so that people can't get into certain folders that they shouldn't. Um, and so you've generally done, you know, a bunch of those, what would be an implementation group one types of activities. These four items that I'm going to talk about are um, just things for you to think about uh, of ways that you could enhance your cybersecurity posture beyond where you're probably at now. So the first one is a centrally managed enterprise-grade password management utility, which is a mouthful. Um, but essentially, 
what we are um, you know, recommending more and more is that the company should own a subscription to a password manager. They should essentially dictate that all staff will use it um, and it should only contain their work-related information. So this goes back to the, the conversations we had before about you know, if somebody quits or gets fired or you know, is no longer going to be working with the business, you need to be able to take back control of any of those sites or services that they might have used and, and logged into. The best way to do that is to own the passwords. This does go back and just kind of one other point is that hopefully you have a, a computer use policy in your business. Um, and one of the essential components of the computer use policy is to inform your staff that the technology is being provided to them as a tool to do their job, that any information accessed and stored on that device is the property of the company. Um, just to get rid of any doubt that if they're like, no, it's you know, I put this on here, it's mine. No, it's not yours. <laughs> it's the company's. Um, the next one, proactive email phishing simulations with cybersecurity training. So to Tanil's point, um, again, this is something that is on that proactive side um, of the NIST framework. And essentially what it, what it entails is instead of them getting a malicious email saying that their Netflix account has um, expired, you are sending that to them. They don't know that it's coming from you. It still looks um, just like the one that they would get from, you know, whoever was sending the one for Netflix. Um, but you get to see who opens it, who clicks on the link and goes to the web page, who falls for the web page and, and enters their information in there. And, you know, it's really good information because it, if, if they're falling for that, well, chances are they'll fall for other things. And it still blows my mind that in 2022, when we send these out, um, you know, probably 15% of staff click on almost every single email that they get. You want to follow that up. You want to provide training um, to those staff. Um, I mean, to all staff, but particularly those who you know, fall for those fraudulent emails. And then the big thing, the other thing here is, um, you know, backing your information up. Um, so most businesses have a system in place for protecting, you know, the files and folders on their workstations and their servers. But a lot of them have overlooked or haven't thought about the fact that, you know, these cloud services have valuable information in them that should be protected. I talked about this zero trust framework. And, you know, if, if you get out and you start reading about cybersecurity, you will, you will find a whole lot of um, information out there. Um, for us, you know, we live and breathe IT and cybersecurity, and it's what we do all day, every day. And, and I can tell you, you know, that across our clients' networks, I, I'm never, you know, surprised anymore when I get onto somebody's computer and I find an application, you know, a, a program that clearly shouldn't be there. It could be something like a, a, a tool for downloading pirated movies. Um, I remember years ago, we had a client that was running out of space on their server because, and we found that somebody had downloaded in, in like entire seasons of Sons of Anarchy. And, you know, this was before a lot of these tools were available and there was no way to monitor for it until you found out you were almost out of space. But having the ability to lock your, your systems down so that they can only be used for business, um, I think is going to be uh, one of the paths forward for, for many organizations. The other thing with these platforms is you start seeing a lot more auditing information. So as an example, the tool that we use, when somebody plugs a USB stick into one of the managed computers, if they copy a file to it, um, first of all, we can have a policy that says they're not allowed to copy things to USB sticks, but if that was allowed, it will actually track which files went onto the USB stick. So again, if somebody were to quit or get fired or, you know, otherwise, you know, put us at risk in one way or another, we have a record and a log of that. And locking it down to approved configurations only. 
Um, one last kind of little story on this. I, I always talk to clients and I say, you know, if, if we lined up 15 new white trucks in the parking lot and we put 15 new laptops on the table in the, in the boardroom and we were going to give them to staff, which of those do, do you have more, you know, process and policy and management around? And the reality is, is that most businesses have spent more time thinking about what acceptable use of a truck is compared to acceptable use of a computer. And to me, like, I get it, there's safety on the trucks, but if we just say, hey, if, if somebody crashes a truck into a ditch, it takes out one truck. If somebody crashes a computer, it can take out all of them. So I feel like we should spend more time on, on the technology. And then the other big thing that I think we're gonna see a lot more of, um, and, and this is something that we're rolling out into our um, clients' networks, are advanced security operations center um, monitoring. And, and really what this is recognizing is that, you know, for all of us on this call, you know, we finish our workday and we lock the door and we go home and, you know, we go to bed. Our technology is still on. It is still connected to the internet. It is, they are still receiving, you know, inbound requests. Um, and, you know, based on, you know, experiences that we've seen, you know, most of that stuff happens outside of regular business hours. You know, you think about that whole idea of, you know, Russia um, getting more, you know, ramping up their cybersecurity or cyber attacks. Well, what time of day is it in Russia right now? <laughs> right? What time of day is it when, it, when we're going to bed? And so we're starting to find that more and more there needs to be 24-7 monitoring and reactive um, you know, response available for those things. And then threat hunting is about um, proactively probing the network and scanning and looking for areas of weakness. All right, we've got a couple of minutes left. Um, the thing that I wanna touch on um, is that when you start thinking about you know, securing your business, it's not just subscriptions, right? Um, every, every single tool that we use, there's, um, there's training involved in it, there's maintenance, there's monitoring, there's, you know, operating it. So if you're going to do it yourself, um, there's absolutely things that you can do on your own, subscriptions that you can, that you can buy. But you really need to be thinking about, in our opinion, the security, the stability, and the supportability of your network. Right. These are, uh, in our opinion, the three things that impact your experience with technology. Um, then when we talk about our role as a as an IT provider, we want to connect, you know, the investments that are that our clients are making to their strategy, um, you know, to support their business and its growth and then overcoming its challenges. And then the last things that we talk about. Um, and, and these are, you know, again, from our side being, you know, on the IT provider is how, what is the process to scale this? Um, you know, whether, you know, in our, in our minds, we're thinking about how do we deploy this across multiple clients? You as a business owner might be thinking, how do I support this? Or how do I deploy this across multiple locations that I have, or, you know, multiple computers that I have? But my point on it is that none of these solutions are set it and forget it. And so you have to think about the management capability of it. And then the standards, again, this is about um, making sure that every single computer on your network meets the same you know, level of standards. All right. Um, the one thing I'm going to just share, uh, we're, we're coming close to the end of our time here. Um, so everybody that's on the call, we're going to be sending out um, this document. It's a PDF, Cybersecurity Essential for Business Owners. Um, and it's going to talk a little bit about, you know, the types of, um, you know, risks that businesses are facing. And uh, it goes into details of some of those threats. It then talks about NIST, talks about CIS. And then it goes through every single one of the um, whoop, of the implementation groups, 
and I'll just zoom in and it shows you. So group one is inventory and control of enterprise assets. There are a total of five safeguards. Two of them are in implementation group one, which are shown over here, 1.1, 1.2. So if you wanted to sit down with your leadership team and you know talk about where you stand in terms of cybersecurity, you could go through every single one of these CIS controls and say, okay, there are three controls in implementation group one. Do we have yes, 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 or yes, no, no? And that will help guide you, um, hopefully, and point you where you can make some improvement. All right, that's a lot. <laughs> thank you, Jesse. Um, yeah, and so awesome that you're sending that out to everyone. We will share that in the post wrap up of this event uh, for our attendees. So yes, that's amazing. Thank you. So we do have some questions that came through. They didn't come through the chat, but um, so just a question: Should you leave your computer on at night? I know so many companies they walk away at night, they leave their computer on for post, you know, updates that kind of thing. What is the best practice with that? Yeah. Well, it's a good point. It depends why you're leaving it on. So in our world, you know, with our clients, yes, they leave them on. And they leave them on because we have tools and processes that run overnight to apply security patches and updates and, you know, run, you know, the proactive tests and all of that kind of stuff. And, and so we are actually improving the security of their network overnight. Whereas, you know, if you're just leaving and you're locking up at the end of the day and you don't have any of the implementation group one things in place, well, I mean, it might be safer to turn it off. But yeah, it should be it, it should be tied to what your security plan is, I think, is maybe the thing to say. All right. And so um, Tanil touched on the, the cybersecurity and insurance, insurance side and training, that kind of thing. Are, are most companies actually covered under their general liability or is there a separate cyber insurance that you should be seeking? That's a good question. And I'm, I'm I, sorry, I went past that. You should have a separate cyber insurance policy for your business. Um, almost, well, I shouldn't say almost all, but many, you know, CGL policies um will have some kind of cyber coverage it's typically very limited you know you'll see like a a fifty thousand dollar limit um and i i know for a lot of people they, they might think oh well i only have you know five computers like if the whole thing blew up it, it's not going to cost me 50 grand to replace it why would i need any more than that and the reason that you would need more than that is because you have confidential information stored on your computers. So let's say you were a, uh, you know, a retail, um, you know, medical um, type of business. Well, if somebody, if a criminal got into your, into your business and stole the personal information of 3000 people, <laughs> I can tell you that you are going to have to report that you're going to have to notify every single one of those people. You're going to have to probably pay some kind of fine. And the reality is, is that 50 grand goes really fast. Yeah, so you should seek coverage is what you're saying with your insurance provider. Yeah. So, um, so with, you know, passwords are changing, you touched on the password manager, um, manager of the passwords. There, there's so many different apps out there. There's so many different programs. What actually is the best practice if you are keeping passwords? Um, like, are the apps safe, you know, or are they? Yeah, so, and it's one of the big questions we get all the time, right? Because people go, oh, well, if I use a password manager, now all my passwords are in one place. And that is true. So, I mean, there's a ton of them out there. The big ones are going to be um, LastPass, Dashlane, I think uh, 1Password, um, Keeper, um, you know, and, and the list could go on. What you want to look for is you want to look for one that has, um, you know, all of the passwords are encrypted and um, separated. So even though um, as a company, you're all subscribed to the same platform, I shouldn't have access to Jennifer's passwords. 
unless she shares them with me. And the reason that a password manager um, improves your security is that you as a user only need to remember one username and password, and that's to get into the password manager. And so you would have a, you know, a 20 character password, right? Because we all use 20 character passwords. So we'd all have a 20 character or longer password to get into our password manager. And then every single website or service that we use would have a unique 25, 35 character password assigned to it. And when I say unique, it's completely random. Like most of these password managers have a, a button that you just hit generate and it gives you this big long string and you go, okay, that's my password for PayPal now. You don't, you don't ever think to yourself, oh, I need to remember this, right? Because as soon as you do that, then you go, then your passwords get short and they get simple. And that's where risk comes in. So you touched on um, email phishing attacks and they do look very legit. And I, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, they find them off the websites or, you know, they, but I mean, we've been a few times, you know, Jennifer, did you send me this or, but they're very, you know, they look very real, you know, signed by Jen, you know, and so how do you, how, how can you, you know, how can you, um, how do you know if they're legitimate or not? Yeah. So there's the traditional phishing attacks that are literally just uh, the spray and pray. Um, and one of the ways that they do that is they, they go to web pages and they scrape information off of them. Um, the ones that, that you're probably referencing are what we would call a spear phishing attack, which is very targeted. And uh, I, I often tell the story and, you know, kind of for cybersecurity awareness is that most businesses, um, they have on their webpage who the president and the CEO and the COO and the operations manager and, you know, the finance manager or the controller are. And they literally, they find a target and they call, like they pick up the phone and they call and they go, I want to talk to the operations manager. So, hey, is Jennifer there? And the you know person answering the phone says, oh, yeah, sure. Can I tell her who's calling? Go, yeah, it's Jesse. Okay, I'll put you through. And then I hang up. And then the next week I call again and I do the same thing and I hang up and I do it again and I do it again and I do it again. And then one day I call and the person says, uh, no, she's away um, for a couple of weeks on holidays. And I go, oh, Really? We were supposed to talk about whatever today. Where did she go? Like, oh, she's down in, you know, Palm Desert. Um, and I'm like, oh, well, I hope she's out golfing or something. And they say, yeah, actually, she goes every year. She loves it. Well, guess what? The next day, the controller gets an email from Jennifer. Hey, Michelle, I just got off the golf course down here, had a chat with uh, so-and-so. They've got a smoking deal on an excavator. I need you to wire you know, $200,000 to this account, right? They are going to this level of, you know, detail because the payout is worth it. And so it's not just about noticing things in your mailbox, but it's about training people how they answer the phones and the information they give out there as well. And so, and yeah, and yeah, I mean, smart way to do it. Of course, they have the information. It, it seems legit, that kind of thing. Um, and usually, I guess, when you click on the email, you can tell, you know, it isn't from, you know, you can't tell at first until you click through and then you see the, the different. Right. But what people do is they, they, they mix things around. So maybe in, you know, at tier3it.ca, they'll change it and they'll go and register a domain and it'll be at tl, you know, er3it.ca. Well, at first glance, you, you may not notice the difference between an I and, a, and an L. And, and that's how people get it, is that it, it's still got the signature and everything looks legit, but you know it's missing something. Or maybe they just register it without the I in tier. Or you know on chamber, you know they change one of the A's to an E or something like that. And most people are not slowing down enough to catch those things. 
Yeah. Um, and then lastly, back to the emails again. So when you see, you know, we have a member phoning saying, Hey, I've been hacked and, and how do you, and they're sending out to all of their contacts. So now it's different. It's probably not a targeted approach, but it's now going to all of their contacts. Um, what, what can be done in that situation? I guess that's another advanced hack that can't be. Yeah. Controlled. Yeah. It's, it's real tricky. I mean, obviously first you need to get in, you need to understand how the attack is happening um, to stop it. Um, you know, removing any forwarding rules, um, removing, removing any access that they might have, you know, is a big thing. And, um, you know, I guess one thing just to throw out as a, as a word of caution to everybody on the call is never use the word breach, never use the word hacked. Um, those have serious legal implications. So if, if, uh, if you send an email out to all of your contacts and you say, hey, I just want to let you know my, uh, my Microsoft 365 account has been breached, um, you now are triggering like insurance and investigations and those types of things. So that's why you know any of the big companies, you'll see we're investigating an incident right? It's for the forensic IT firm and the lawyers to decide if it's a breach. They don't use those words. <laughs> um, uh, so actually one more thing, um, just a question that came through on, on the, the spam folder and best practices, because likely that's kind of, you know, a first check it lands in the spam. Um, so is there a best practice or, you know, you hear, I, you sent me an email a couple of days ago. I found in my spam. What can what can businesses do on the spam folder side? Yeah, I mean, spam is is such a tough one, right? Because you want it to filter out things that are obviously risks, but people they use risky words in their emails, right? I mean, if I sent you an email and said, "Hey, Jen, I found this amazing opportunity that I think you'd be um, you know really wise to invest in." your spam filter should block something like that. Um, and so don't get too upset if something goes into spam that you were expecting. <laughs> and just be really careful about anything that you're taking out of the spam folder, right? Again, double check the domain, you know, before you click on a link, hover over it, make sure that the link is taking you to where the link says it's supposed to. But yeah, careful. All right. Well, thanks, Jesse. Um, it's great to have you back. We've had you in the past VCon, and I'm sure, you know, we'll, we'll again have you back again because things are ever changing in the technology world. So, um, so we look forward to having you back. We thank you for all your involvement in all the other programs the Chamber has on the go with Startup Leduc and our business awards and that. So we thank you for your support and, and your presentation today.